פרשת וישב, פרשת וישב, תשע"ט בנב של יעקב. You know that the Ramban says, the Ramban in the beginning of the Peri, his Peirish HaLatorah, in response to Rashi. Rashi says, what do we need all of these stories for in the book of Breshit? And so Rashi comes up with a theory that the book of Breshit comes to teach us that God is control, uh, controls the world. Because apparently uh, you might believe that God created the world, but that not necessarily that God is in control of the world that he, was, that he created, maybe because God, you might imagine that God decided to abandon the world to its own designs. And it's not just so involved in. So the, so the Ramban says, no, he says, so Rashi, I'm sorry, so, so Rashi says that the reason Breshit is there is to teach us that God is in control. And so Rashi continues based on that famous Tanchuma that if the Goyim come and say, we're here, and God put us here, so why shouldn't we stay? So you, you have to be able to, to, to know that God can change things, that God has that power, the power of, of, uh, of changing the reality that God himself imposed on the world, right? That's what, that's what uh, Rashi says. The Ramban says something different. He says, yes, it's true, you have to know those things that Rashi talked about, but it's also true, it's also true that we learn from the stories of Breshit, we learn moral and ethical principles, we learn how to act, uh, you know, Ben Adam Lechaveiro, we also learn how to act Ben Adam Lamakom. These are things that, uh, that, can, that are not expressed um, in Halakha, but are learned in a different way. That's what the Ramban I mean, the Rabban didn't say that last sentence that I said, but I think that that's what he means. That not everything can be condensed into a halachic statement. But there are certain ideas and notions that have to be learned from experience, uh, learning about great people, how they reacted to things. That also is part of the book of, the book of Breshit. But in this parasha, in this parasha, we come to the story of Yehuda and Tamar. The, the story of Yehuda, and, and as you learn the story, you might wonder what the story really is coming to teach us. It seems like Yehuda is either bungling or doing things poorly or seemingly acting against the desire of the Torah. And, uh, and at the end of which, you know, at the end of which he has a grandson. He has, a, he has two grandsons, but one of them is named Peretz, right? There's Peretz and Zerach, or Zorach, Peretz and Zorach, his two grandsons from Tamar. Yes, you remember Tamar? Well, just look at the story in a minute. He has Peretz, and Peretz is the father of David HaMelech. So it's hard to know from the story whether Yehuda should be emulated or should not be emulated. But I think that this story, the story of Yehuda and Tamar, can teach us a lot about what is expected of us and what was happening, what was happening in the time of, uh, of uh, the family of Yaakov. So let's do it in the order on the sheet. We'll start with the first psukim in, in the parish of Yeshev. We have to learn the first two psukim with Rashi. 
Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Begurei Aviv Be'eretz Kena'an Vayeshev So Vayeshev is taken by Beforshim as being a kind of an end game It's not that he dwelled there but he's Vayeshev Vayeshev means really relaxed <laughs> retired Yaakov retired into into Be'eretz Begurei Aviv Be'eretz Kena'an So it's sort of like it says, this is the end, we've just told you the end of the story of Yaakov. But very strangely, if you go back to Perak, the Perak that precedes this Pasuk is about Alufei Esav. All of the families and the extended families and the generations of the families of Esav. So that this juxtaposition of the families of Esav and the fact that Yaakov had completed his, uh, his job, so to speak. After all, he had gone to Chutzlaretz, he, he, he ran away from Esav, he, 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 let's start from the beginning. You remember, he somehow got the birthright, the Bechorah, right? Maybe in a legitimate or an illegitimate way, but he got it. Then he got the blessings that were supposed to go to Esau. Then he got the blessings of, uh, of Abraham. And then Esau kicked him out of the land. He was afraid. He was afraid. His mother was afraid. His father was afraid. He ran away. There he had a lot of difficulty getting wives and, and, and getting a proper deal. He had to lie again. And, and then he escaped. Then he came back to Eretz Yisrael. When he came back to Eretz Yisrael, he confronted Esau at 400 soldiers and he had this fight with Aesop's angel and as a result of which Aesop became all smiley and happy and said no I'm not going to kill you we're going to live very happily after after ever after and then there are the peric of the of the generations of Aesop and then Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Begurei Aviv so Rashi asks the previous parak is about all the places that Esav occupied in Eretz Kenan. His children, his grandchildren, etc. Don't mind that. Aleph goes to the Siftei Chachamim, which is not on your sheet. The commentary says They weren't upright. Says all of these things all of these things are explained like what happened with Esau where he went and what he did but not his wars and his uh, difficulties with other nations right that's not told there so Rashi contrasts the fact that the story of Esau is taught told B'derech Tzara. Derech Tzara means Esav had sons, the sons had sons, the sons had sons, had wives, and they had sons. That's Derech Tzara. And here, when it comes to Yaakov, it's Derech Arukah. 
because we tell the story about Yosef. Gilgulim are like, you know, the, the ball is rolling along. Sibatam is causes. Right? You know that the ball doesn't roll. This is a theological argument. That if you see the ball rolling down the street, somebody probably kicked it. That's called theology. And so that according to Rashi, according to Rashi, why does the uh, why does the story of the generations of Esav precede the story of Yaakov? This story of Yaakov, because we've got to learn we have to learn the difference between the short form of telling the story and the long form. The short form, that's Esau. The long form, that's, that's Yaakov. Because Yaakov has a, has a special importance to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Similarly, Ploni Ploni, in the ten generations from Adam to Noach, also briefly stated, the same story. So there's this principle. There is this principle that Rashi lays down, which is that if it's important, it will be told in extenso. And if it's not, it'll be talked briefly. Briefly. This doesn't really tell us why. God was interested in this at all. I mean, you can't say, or it's difficult to say, that that Alufei Esav are told in order that we should know that Yaakov is more important. Like, you know, doesn't strike me, but let's go on. Rashi says, Mashal. Right? Mashal usually means an explanation. Right? If I change the components of what I'm saying, you'll understand it better. That's a mashal, an analogy, a metaphor, uh, uh, some word like that. Right? So uh, the mashal is, mashal and margalit, a pearl, shenefla ben into the sand. Adam and mashmesh b'chol v'kogrobi chvara. A chvara is a uh, sifter. Right, you, you put your hand in the sand, and then you put the sand into a sifter, and you sift out the sand, right? Uh, until he finds the pearl. When he finds that pearl, throws away the, the fistfuls of sand, and he grabs onto the margalit. So what's the mashal? What does the mashal say? Esav uh, is the... What? The descendants of Esav are the chol, and Yaakov is the pearl. Okay. I, I got that. And you need the mashal to tell you that? I mean, isn't it enough what, what Rashi said before? I would assume that if Rashi brings the mashal, he thinks it's enlightening. It says something. 
that it tells you so that you, what you what you you what you offered is what we know. We know that Yaakov is more important than Esau. He said that before, mm-hmm. short and long. So what what is what is the mashal help me with? I mean, short and long takes care of it, I think. But you have to look at the mashal a little bit more. I think a little bit more carefully because it says. It says in the Mashal, until he does this, until he finds the pearl. Now, what does he do when he finds the pearl? In other words, before he finds the Margalit, he knows it's in there someplace. So the hole is also important to him. He's not going to throw away the hole, is he? In other words, he doesn't know where the margalit is. The margalit fell into the sand. So, so the sand becomes just as important as the margalit until he finds the margalit. When he finds the margalit, he takes it and he throws away the sand. But before he found the margalit, he wouldn't have thrown away the sand because maybe he'd be throwing away the margalit with it. So it's as though you say, look, Esau and Yaakov, they were born of the same mother. They're twins. They, they were, uh, 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 the father liked Esau, and the, and the mother liked, uh, I mean, the fa- and the mother liked Yaakov. So where was the determining moment? Where was the determining moment where Yaakov, it became a story of Yaakov and not a story of Esau, which is what Rashi is trying to teach us with the Mashal. It was up to now. Up to now, in the, in the Torah, the story that was told was the story of Yaakov and Esau. Was it not? Yaakov came back there in Israel. He met up with Esau. He had a fight. They talked to each other. Here, take the presents. Don't take the presents. He, they, they came to bury their dead father. Right? Yitzchak was buried by Yaakov and Esau. So, so that there is this idea that there is a story that's being told about Yaakov and Esau, and it's not determined. It's not yet determined. The, the, the margalit has not yet been uncovered from the sand, right? And suddenly here, it is underco- uncovered. Why? Why is it that Yaakov became, like the story of Yaakov begins in the parish of Vayeshev, right? I could say that. I won't say that. Well, that's my literary assessment. Up to now, it's the story of Yaakov and Esau. And now it becomes the story of Yaakov. Now it becomes the story of, of, of Yaakov. And that's why the Posuk says, that's why the Posuk says, uh, next Posuk bet, Eile Todot Yaakov, Yosef. Why does the story of Yaakov begin at this point? Why is the story of Yaakov? Because of Yosef. Because of Yosef. And what did Yosef do? What was the most remarkable thing that Yosef did in the eyes of Yaakov, in the eyes of the history of Yaakov? What was the most remarkable thing that Yosef did in the world that we know about? From, from, I mean, it's basically what I said last week. The way we were talking about it, I mean, you might think differently, but, this, but if you answer my question, it should fit in with the way I was thinking about it, I think. I don't know if that's fair or not. But it's, why is it that Yosef created Yaakov? 
in a manner of speaking, of course. Why did Yosef create this? Because Yosef, Yosef had a family. He had two sons, do you remember that? Ephraim and Menashe. And those two sons became the sons of Yaakov. And Yosef married an Egyptian woman. An Egyptian woman. Yaakov, Yaakov said, don't kill the people in Shechem. Maybe they will enable us to expand. But we see from the story of Yehuda and Tamar, we see from the story of Yehuda and Tamar that Yehuda uh, was not able exactly to follow the dictates of Yaakov in this matter. He was not able to create a reasonable family. He wasn't able to. Uh, Yehuda was destined to be the king of Israel, but he was not able to overcome this hurdle, how Yaakov would create a family out of all these children that he had and the wives and, and, and children that they would have. So it was Yosef. It wasn't easy for Yosef. He had difficulties. He also had difficulties, right? You see, remember the story of Yosef? And the story is you turn over the page, right? Remember, Yosef became the uh, major domo of uh, uh, whatever his name was. Potiphar. 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 And then he was, he was attacked by Potiphar's wife. And he refused, he refused her advances. He refused her advances because, unlike Yehuda, unlike Yehuda, who was not so involved in that kind of thinking, was very much concerned about having a family. And he did it, Yosef. And that's what Yaakov wanted. That's why Yaakov, Yaakov was not created by the fact that he stole the Bechorah from Esau, he stole the Brachot from Esau, he got the Bracha of Abraham from Yaakov, he ran away from Esau. None of these things produced Yaakov, because what Yaakov had to do, what he was charged with, so to speak, was making a family. With making a family. A family meant he had to have a way, had to have a way of everybody in the family accepting the ideology created by Avram Avinu, which as we have said again and again, contained you know, two basic elements, El Elyon, that there is one God, and Konesh Ba'aretz. And even though these words come to us from Malkitzedek, nevertheless, they are the words that Avram Avinu was spreading around. And he was trying to, to kind of convince people that this is true, and that's what got Avram Avinu into trouble. So that in the generation of Avram Avinu, there was no need for a family. So that Yitzchak was in because of his special qualities. Not because he was born. That wasn't enough. He had to be Yitzchak, and he was. And Yaakov was in because he had special qualities. He was sitting and learning Torah, or however, however you imagine it. And therefore, he was the son of Yitzchak. 
but neither of them were families because family means that even the people who deviate, the people who are not 100%, the people who are not with you as they, in, in, in their entirety, they still are part of the family. And that was created by Yosef. That was created by Yosef and not by, and not by Yaakov on his own. So that's why it says, that's why it says in the Pasuk, Vayeshev Yaakov, and then it says, Eile Toldot Yaakov Yosef. If I have to Toldot Yaakov, I want to summarize the life of Yosef. I'm sorry. I want to summarize the life of Yaakov. How do I summarize the, the life of Yaakov? By, by telling the story of Yosef. Because Yosef is the story Yosef is the story of the family. If we go on a little bit more... I, I, I don't understand why. I don't understand what Yosef did that was different than Yehuda. Yehuda had children too. Well, Yaakov already had 12 children. He had, he, Who? Yaakov already had 12 children. Right. He didn't, he didn't need Ephraim and Menashe. He didn't need them? No, to, to have his 12. No, but you see that Yaakov was very happy to give a special bracha to Ephraim and Menashe and to include them. They were included. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the tribe of Yosef disappeared and they became the tribes of Ephraim and Menashe. So why was that? Now, I don't know who they, oh, they all married. The problem was keeping the family in the next generation. That was the problem. It wasn't the generation of Yaakov. Yaakov was able to create a family of people who would be, uh, would be part of the family, but they were also deviants. Shimon Levi was a deviant, and, and Yehuda was a deviant, and Ruvain was a deviant. So that wasn't good enough. You needed a next generation that was not deviational, and that was Ephraim and Menashe, I think. I think. So if you look at the Rashi, the same Rashi that we're looking at, if you look at the Rashi, Vod Nidrash, Vod Nidrash, you see Vod Nidrash, Vod, in the Rashi it's two, four, six, eight, nine, eight. Eight lines from the bottom. It says, Breshit Rabban, parentheses, pay Dalit You see that? So it says, Nidrash, but there's another Medrash that I have to tell you about. Rashi says, he hasn't done enough with this Pasuk. He says, Od Nidrash, Od Nidrash, what? Vayeshev, Bikesh Yaakov, Leshev, Belshava. Yaakov wanted to go into retirement. He wanted to sit calmly and quietly. So immediately, anger produced by Yosef, it was things that Yosef did, caused him emotional upheavals. Like Yosef didn't get along with his brothers, and then he sent Yosef to kind of find the sheep in order to make peace with his brothers. It didn't work. And then the brothers got rid of him, and they brought back his ketonet pasim, so Yaakov suffered after Pikesh Lashevish B'Shalva all because of Yosef. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Lo dayan le tzadikim, ma shem metukan lahem lo lamabah, it's not enough 
what is Yaakov want? He's getting a great uh, seat in Olam Haba, but he needs a great seat in Olam Hazeh. He says, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. So now if you get to the, uh, uh, I mean this background material, so to speak, if we get to the story of Yudav Tamar, I think you'll see how it is that, the, that there's a lot of hints in the Psukim to what we were talking about. Right? Yehuda splits off from his brothers. He goes his own way. What's the topic that he goes his own way on? Finding a wife. He goes his own way and finding a wife. He had a friend. His friend was named Chira. He was not Jewish. Well, he was not from the family. I mean, maybe Jewish is, doesn't mean anything. But he was not of the family. He sees this girl, right? Her father's name is Shua, and she is called Bat Shua. Bat Shua. And she had a son. Imagine that. That's, that's Zachar. That's like, like Yehuda did it. But the second time, the second child, she did it. Like the Minak today, like, you know, first son belongs to the, I don't know who, who who's belonged to? Aisha. The, the chasam? The father. Aisha. Oh, the, well, the mother. And the second son belongs to the father, meaning that, you know, they get the right to, the privilege to name them. Vatar od vatelet v'tigrat shemo onan, onan. Vatosef od vatelet v'tigrat shemo shela. That's a kind of a crux, those words of Kaziv. Kaziv is the name of a place that she was in Kaziv in the very far north. What today is Carmiel, around there on the, on the seashore, is, is Achaziv. It's called Achaziv. So maybe it's the same place. I'm not good at geography. So, Yehuda is doing the fatherly thing, and he shittichs off his son, heir to Tamar. Now Tamar, even though it sounds like a, a from Jewish name, but Tamar is probably a non-Jewish woman, right, hanging around. Vayhi heir b'chor Yehuda ra, Hashem, Hashem. I mean, it doesn't say that about too many people. This guy, Er, must have really been a nasty piece of work. If, if the Pasuk says that, that he was Rabbi Ne Hashem, I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know what he did, but we did away with him. So now, Vayomi Yehuda Leonan, Baal Eshet Achicha, Vayabemota, Vakem Zerel Achicha. So we know that there are halachot of Yibum in the Torah and in, in the, the Halakha, 
And that if a, a man dies, he has no children, but he has a brother. So the brother should take the wife of the dead man, have children with her, and the children will be uh, named as inheritors of the dead of the dead man. So that's called uh, that's called yabemota. Vakem zera lachicha. Veheda onan. So he didn't want to do the mitzvah, so he didn't. Pasuk Yud, Hashem, Asher Gam Oto, Okay. So Er is dead, and Onan is dead. Er is dead and Onan is dead. All that's left is Tamar. Tamar, even though she's not Jewish, hasn't done anything wrong. But she's the one who is suffering. Vayoma Yehuda letamar kalato Shvi almana beitavich ad yigdal sheila b'ni ki amar pen yamut gam hu ki achiv v'teilech tamar v'teilech tamar v'teshev beitavich Okay, so Yehuda agrees that Sheila, the youngest son, should be the Miyavim when he grows up, when he becomes a mature young man. Pasuk Yud Bet, Ve'yibu Ayyamim, Ve'tamad Batshua, Eshet Yehuda, Batshua, right, we know that he went to Shua. Batshua was either her name, or she didn't have a name, or the Torah doesn't tell us her name. She was the daughter of, of Shua. Right, Eishet Yehuda, Vayinachem Yehuda, Vayal al Gozezei Tzonovu, Vechirare Ehu Adulami Timnata. So here we have Chira coming back into the picture. Yehuda is like wandering around. His only friend in the world is Chira, the person he talks to. Dubei Timnata, Pasuk Yud Gimel. So Tamar finds out that Yehuda is coming into the area. Remember, it was not so easy to get around in those days. Yudalit, Pasuk Yudalit, Big Day, Almenutami Aleha, Vatechas Betsaif, Vatit Alaf, Vateshev Bepetach. So Tamar recognizes that an injustice is being done. The injustice that's being done is that uh, nobody seems to be interested in carrying out the law of Yibum, which would mean that Sheila would have, would live, would take her as his wife. And their children would be as the, as the halacha prescribes. But that wasn't happening. It wasn't happening and she figured out that I guess that it's not going to happen. That it's not going to happen. Now maybe the fact that two of her husbands died might have something to do with the fact that they didn't want to, that Yehuda was not too enthusiastic about this. But in any event, Pasuk Tetvav says, Vayirel Yehuda, Vayachshavel Lizoga. She was in this place, right? Petach Enayim, the opening of the eyes, where was a collection place for prostitutes. So, uh, so he says, 
ויראל יהודה ויחשבה לזונה, כי כיסתה פניה, שהיא dressed up like a זונה. ויתה אליה על הדרך ויאמר, הבה נא אבוא אלייך, so יהודה comes and says, let's have a good time, כי לא ידע כי קלטורי, he didn't know she was his daughter-in-law, ותאמר, מה תיתן לי? כי תבוא אליי, what am I going to make out of this deal, she says. Yes. What's interesting is that Tamar knows that he likes prostitutes. I don't know. Well, what does why, that mean? Why did she decide to be a prostitute? She was not. She was interested in anyone else. Maybe she thought that this was a good way to do it. Not specifically to you, but it would work for most people. I think that's the only. I think that's the only situation where it would be normal that the woman would be anonymous. No. If he knew yeah. it was Tamar, right. he wouldn't do it. She, she, she knew she was yeah. because she thought it was she knew, she knew that he liked prostitutes. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I don't know. Well, said that she saw that his wife died, so he, she knew so he didn't have a partner. Think, why would she think that he wanted to have sex with her? Simply because he knows that you is a guy, and maybe that explains a lot of those things that go around the family. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's a good time. The reason Dr. Prostitute is because if he let's, saw her face, he would say, oh, it's tomorrow, my daughter and wife have to find somebody else. That tomorrow knows Yehuda likes prostitutes. Oh. Let's get, let's, we accept it. So they're making a deal, you know, like she says, what am I going to make? He says, well, I'll give you a couple of sheep. And she says, well, you know, where are the sheep? He says, well, they're, they're back in my pen. So she says, well, how am I going to give me some, some collateral? That'll make sure that I get the the sheep. What sort of collateral do you want? I want things that you really want to get back, like your chotemet, the signet ring that you use when you sign documents and, uh, and some kind of staff that you might have that indicates you're an important person. He says, and he gave it to her by a boy Leah, but her Lord, of course, she became pregnant immediately. So she went back to the way she was previously, dressed like a an almana, a widow. The Yishlach Yehuda et Gediha Izim Biadre Eu Adula Me. Here he is back again, Chira. He he's delivering. The sheep. He's delivering the sheep. Uh, but wondrously, he can't find her. He doesn't know who she is because that prostitute woman no longer exists. She became, she became Tamar. So he asked around, where is that prostitute that sat there? He says, no, there's no prostitute here. He tells Yehuda, I couldn't find her. They all told me there was no prostitute here. Pen Nye Lavuz. 
הנה שלחתי אגדי הזה ואתה לא מצאת. So Yehuda says to him, try harder. You better, because otherwise she's going to expose me. She's going to bring out my stuff and everybody's going to know it's me and that I was the one who had relations with her. Kavdalet. Vayihi kemeshalosh kodashim vayagad liyudal emozan tatamar kalatech kalatcha. After three months, the pregnancy was showing. And so they said, they, people came to Yehuda and said, you know, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Zantata Makata, we don't, we have never heard that she was married to Sheila. So she, you know, how it is with Yibum, it's sort of like you're married already. Like you, you know, the woman can't marry anybody else unless they do Chalitza. So it's a sort of an automatic marriage, which is not consummated immediately, but only later on. But the marriage is, an, is strong enough to demand a get. So here they did, they knew that Shayla had nothing to do with her. She, well, they weren't married and she was pregnant. So it's quite clear. She's pregnant in a kind of non-regular way. Yehuda said, let's bring her out here and we'll burn her up. We'll pasuk kafei. He motzeit v'hi shalcha el chamia lemor laish asher ele lo anochi harak. So she sent the stuff that she had to her father-in-law, and she told him that whoever owns this stuff, I became pregnant through him. Vatomer haker na lemi achotemet vaptilim vamate haela. She said, to him, "Take a good look." This is my, I mean, you could make a, an interesting dramatic moment here. Vay pasukavav, vayaker Yehuda vayovet sadkami many. And this is like a crux, sadkami many. Like, what's he talking about? But it's sadkami many. It was she, I mean, she was a sort of, a, she was an HSH. And was, if you speak in halachic terms, mm-hmm. Tamar was an ancient Ish living with another man. To the best of my understanding, that's also. He, the other man, didn't know that she was he's Anus. Right? He didn't know what was happening, and he had no intention of living with a married woman. So why does he say Tzadkami Meni? Vesiknit. That's why she's Tzadkami Meni. Not because not because of what happened, but because of what didn't happen. What didn't happen was I didn't give her as a wife to Sheila. That was what I did wrong. He did not have any further relations uh, with her. And then she came and she was about to give birth. They found, they realized that she was carrying twins. So one of the babies stuck his hand out. The Mialedet tied a, some kind of a, a, a brightly colored ribbon on his, on his hand uh, and, and said, 
That's a sign that he was first. The guy with the ribbon. The one with the ribbon. So this is the story of the birth of Yaakov and Esau. Right? Isn't that the story of Yaakov and Esau? What was the story of the birth of Yaakov and Esau? Who's first? Who came out first? Who's right? So like all kinds of... What? Yeah, Aesop came out first, but who was holding on to him? Who was grabbing on? Who was trying to be first? Who was like besuffic? It was like you create doubt about who is first. The same thing about Peretz and Zorach. Who is first? Zorach. But then they switched around and Peretz came out first. It's the same, the same story. It's the same story that these two children, these two children became equally part of the family of Yehuda. But since they were conceived illegitimately, they did not solve the problem for Yaakov. Yaakov wanted, wanted the family to have the option of expanding in a legitimate way. And as I said before, the one who did that, the one who did that was Yosef. The one who did that was Yosef. But just to remind you of the psukim, if you turn the page, turn the page. This is the, the, the summary in the beginning of Divrei Yamim uh, Aleph. The first prakim summarize the history, the genealogical history of Am Yisrael. So these are the Venei Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael, one of them is called Yosef, right? B'nai Yehuda, B'nai Yehuda, Er v'onan b'sheila, shlosha, nolad lo mibatshua hakinanit. Here there's no bones about it. Vayi Er b'chor Yehuda, Rabbi Nei Hashem, Vayi Miteyu, v'tamar kalato, Right? Er, Onan, Sheila, Peretz, and Zarach. Yehuda had five children. But three of those five children, three of the five children died. Yes? I mean, well, they weren't children. They were... One? Two. Two died? What happened to Sheila? He stayed single. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? Then. 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 Of the story that's in the Torah, and the short form of the story that's in the Torah is that there was nothing, nothing wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. Everything is just fine with Yehuda, and yet, and yet, if you know the story in the Torah, so you know that that Yehuda, even though he had five children, there was something that was not proper. There was something that was not satisfying that Yosef eventually, that Yosef eventually satisfied. 
And as I said, I think that Yosef satisfied what he, satis what he did. What Yosef did was two things. One, he did not allow himself to be, to succumb to the demands of the wife of Potiphar. But he remained a kind of, uh, he re achieved some kind of purity, which Yehuda did not achieve. Right? Yehuda did not achieve. And uh, secondly, secondly, Yosef had children that Yaakov understood could become his children, could become his family, which was the, the highest degree of, uh, of uh, the, the highest amount of, of uh, honor that he could give any of his offspring. He did not give that honor to the offspring of Yehuda, right? Even though they are known to us, the offspring of Yehuda, the offspring of Yehuda did not become shvatim. They did not become uh, tribes or the children of, of Yaakov. Only the children of Yosef became the children of Yaakov. It proved that since Yosef was intent upon being part of the family of Yaakov, he educated his sons, apparently, to also be part of the family of Yaakov. And that's why the story of Yaakov is the story of Yosef. That's what the second pasuk, that's what the second pasuk of Yeshev says. One more time, Ele toldot Yaakov, Yosef Why Yosef? Why is Yosef the one that's mentioned in the pasuk? Because Yosef did it. Yosef accomplished what Yaakov was supposed to accomplish in his life, which was to create an option for a family. And the option of a family is that if you marry a non-Jewish woman, you could still produce a Jewish family. That was, that was the, necessary, the necessary position that was developed in all of these, these parashiyot.